Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring issues related to leadership and nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's Value Program, offering group discounts to nursing teams of 10 or more on AACN membership, certification, or conference attendance, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. This is Connie Barden, and I'm thrilled today to talk with Desiree Hodges. Desiree is the new Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Foundation for the state of North Carolina. And prior to that, she was in the acute care realm as nurse manager at Atrium Health. She worked in all things cardiovascular, medical, surgical, and so forth for a number of years on the acute care side of life, and now has gotten into something new and different and Desi, I'm so happy that you could carve out time to talk with us. Welcome. Thank you, Connie, for the invite. This is a really important topic, and I think it's an exciting time for us to chat about it. And the topic is actually moving towards a diverse workforce, which is top of everybody's mind nowadays. And I have to tell you, sometimes it's a lot easier to say it than to do it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to digging in a little bit and uh, picking your brain about it. So we're talking about that, moving towards a diverse workforce. And when you think about that, what are some of the first things that come to mind? You think about the concept in general. I think when we talk about a diverse concept and looking at what the workforce looks like, I think that some people automatically go to color or race or whatever. I think that it's broader than that. I think it's everything. It's cultural background. It is gender, it is people's background, their socioeconomic background as well. So I think that we have to look at that. And because more opportunities have opened up for everyone to be able to enter into the healthcare field and enter into um, the workforce and really taking a step back and looking at what that means. We've all focused when we think about diversity on race. um, And I think that it's bigger than that. So it's really fascinating, Desi. And what I want to ask you, we hear so much about equity, diversity, inclusion, all of that now. And and I would say, why does this matter? Why this? Why now? Why the focus now? Why now that it's so important is that being in healthcare for over 20 some years, I'm dating myself, I've seen a lot. um, And me being most of the time, uh, the minority in my workforce, because I am a person of color and I am a female, it depends on what shift I was working, um, if there were more males or females. It just, I was very blessed in the fact that I did have male counterparts. Um, that was almost the equal amount of number in some cases in um, my previous jobs. There is raised social awareness right now. Um, and I think that we are looking at how we diversify and when is it appropriate to do so, which, you know, as healthcare providers and as we are looking into different technology, research, education, all of those different things, you have to look at who's providing that information and who's receiving that information. Because if you're looking out and who you're speaking to doesn't look like who is kind of running the show, there's a disconnect there. So I think as we move forward in healthcare, um, with all of the things that are happening, being socially aware, um, a more 
diverse workforce is going to be required. You raised an interesting point. You said where to diversify and when it's appropriate to do so. So, so we'll get back into that. But uh, you also raised another, a lot of interesting points. There's so many facets to diversity, um, gender identities, ethnicity, geography, race, all of those things. So let me ask you as a nursing leader, how do you, I guess in your mind, integrate this goal of diversity into your hiring practices? Any examples of that? I would always get frustrated when I became a new leader, like, oh my gosh, I've got to go through this person and that person and that person to finally get the candidates on my desk. Like I'm really trying to hire people here because I'm exsanguinating. Um, But I think that it is very important for the organizations to take that pause and to look at what's coming in and, you know, screen what is coming in, who's coming in, you know, what do they bring to the table? Because I think in looking at that and knowing what your own biases are, having someone kind of scrub that for you and then provide that second level of detail and that second level of screening, I think that gives you an opportunity to look at it once you get those resumes on your desk and say, because you don't know who's who, but they do on the other side. It's having that trusting relationship also with your recruiting department to know that that diversity piece weighs the same for both of you. Um, And having them kind of making sure that they're giving you quality candidates from all different diverse backgrounds. And you'll start to see it once you start working with that person and developing that relationship. Um, That's why it's so important for, you know, you to have that recruiter person that is your support person. And it's not just this big bank of people just sending you something. So you all get to know each other. Like my recruiter, she would always challenge me. She would be like, Desiree, why did you not interview this person and I'm like well they've only worked here or they worked at this hospital and you were like and she would always challenge me and you have to have that conversation you have to be challenged in that and have that relationship with each other just so that you are doing it right doing the right thing and giving people equal opportunity um, to interview in your area it's it's hard to to crack into the critical care unit sometimes. And that was where I spent most of my career as a leader. And um, I had to take a step back and, and really search on the inside, especially with nursing shortages, what that looked like and how I interview candidates and what candidates I was going to be able to choose. Am I going to sit here and exsanguinate or am I going to look at these resumes and really look for the best person for the job and not the best skill, so to speak, because you don't know what their skills are until they get there. So I think those were things to consider. Very fascinating. And I wonder too, because I know you've led in multiple units, even at the same time, did you find yourself sometime pausing to look at, let's say, unit A and what their diversity needs might be, as opposed to unit B, like not everything is the same. Is that a good step for a leader to consider is really individualizing it to the needs of the unit at the time? I think that they should because units have different cultures. So even though I managed two different units at the same time, the culture was so different and how I had to communicate things was so different for those two different ICUs because it it just was. Um, And I 
when I looked at one unit versus the other, I did have one of my units, it was way more diverse than my other unit. I think it takes a while to kind of take a step back because you're so busy with that day-to-day -day trying to hire people, making sure that everybody has everything that they need. Doing all of that and running those day-to-day -day operations, you do have to take a pause and say, do I have what I need to care for the patient population that is in this unit? Um, and so that will look very different, I think, from unit to unit. It's not like you have to have five people of this and six people of that. It's not that at all. It is the appropriate person, um, the appropriate people. It's almost like, you know, when we have appropriate staffing, that's part of that. That is part of it. It's not about the number. It's about do you have a quality workforce to provide the care that's needed in your unit? That is such an interesting perspective, this person thing, because what I wanted to say was, of course, we all want a diverse workforce and we all want a highly qualified workforce. And sometimes it seems to me that it may be difficult to balance the two. Like, what are some of the challenges there? And like you said, we don't want a quota of numbers of four of this or five of that or that type of thing. Yet there does seem to be some sort of balance. What do you think of around that balancing act? I guess, as a leader? It's a hard thing. Um, and that is where we really need to, to search within ourselves what our biases are. It's a conversation that we have to have that is, it's difficult. Um, it's hard. It's, you look at where people go to school. You look at where they you look at where they live, you look at kind of their resume where they've worked, you have to take a step back and know who you are on the inside and call it out for yourselves before you cross that threshold into work. Because if you really want to be that authentic leader and to really lead your workforce, you have to know that you have biases um, and you have to know everybody else has them too. And so I think working together and calling those out in a safe space is the only way that we're able to move forward and get the right people in the right place. And if you do that, if you really give people a chance, if you really look at it um, for what it is, you will have that diverse workforce and you didn't even make a conscious effort to do it. It happens organically when you start to look internally at your own biases. That's really fascinating. I want to come back to that implicit bias thing a little bit. But another thing you made me think of is as the leader, you also, I imagine, have to help others accrue this diverse mindset and coach and mentor and teach and help them along in this journey, sort of in general, and also in the hiring process. What kinds of experiences have you had with that? Uh, some good, some bad. <laughs> some of my peer interview teams were amazing and they really looked at, they were a diverse group. There was someone represented at the table. And then I had one unit before where just anybody could just be part of the interviewing process. So it wasn't as structured when you're the hiring leader and, and putting together those peer interview teams, really going through the training um, with them is, is important. It is vital to the success of your unit, not only for retention, but really matching culturally and are they going to fit in and are they willing to do the work? Um, you know, and learn and grow and be open and be a sponge and be open to receive from somebody that's not like them, not just 
if they don't look like them, but just not like them. Many, many times, many times, there's new people hired, um, but their preceptor is like 10, 15 years younger than they are because of what we have in the workforce. Um, and that's a conversation that I used to have up front with those candidates to say, you're coming in with X amount of years of experience. However, your preceptor has less experience than you do as a whole, but in the critical care unit, they have more experience than you. So I need to know, are you going to be open to receive constructive feedback from them? Are you going to be open to receive direction from them as you move forward and, you know, kind of rid yourself of some of your own biases to be able to be a sponge and soak up what it is that you need to learn to be successful in this unit? That is such a great example. I never thought of that, that in a way, just having that type of conversation with the person without calling it out, you're talking about some of their implicit biases. If an experienced nurse comes in and says, well, I can't learn anything from a 26-year-old or that type of thing. Uh, Very fascinating. I'd never thought about sort of the tables turned on that. A younger nurse mentoring or precepting a nurse with more years, but new to critical care. Fascinating. So going on to this implicit bias thing, what kind of work have you done or or processes have you done learning and managing your own implicit biases? Like you said, we've all got them. I think it's just being curious, being curious about people and getting to know people, not just on the surface level. Um, There was a a point where I had like over 130 some nurses, not just nurses, but staff, but I knew every single one of them. I knew if you had kids or if you didn't, husbands or not, like you have to get to know people and what's important to them. So those one-on-one meetings are not, it's not work-related. It's about getting to know that person um, and getting to know, you know, what do, what are your traditions? What do you do? And I think that that's something that we don't pause enough to do um, because we're all so busy. Um, But I think that's hugely important to be able to do that. The other thing is just reading um, any type of resources or joining different organizations to figure out like what people are doing, having the resources from, you know, from AAC and ANA, all of those different places on how to communicate. Right now we've got what, four generations working in the same workforce really understanding where everyone is coming from and what everyone brings to the table. And, you know, like I would have some of um, my new staff come into the office about six months ago, we were like staffing crisis, like really bad. And so uh, one of the nurses, she's, she was in the BSM program and she comes in and she was like, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is this business case that you can do where you can, um, ask for more staff. I will show it to you because I did it for homework last night and I wanted to give it to you in case you didn't know. <laughs> and I, at first I was like, is she kidding? That's all I ever do. Thank goodness we had mask on because I was wanting to say, get out of my office. What are you talking about? I already know this. I do this all the time. But I took that as her. She wasn't trying to tell me how to do my job. She was trying to help me. And, and then that made me know that I haven't communicated enough about 
what it is that I'm going through as far as budgeting and business cases and proposals for staffing to really share that and let them be a part of that process. So it's really about including everyone um, and what it is and how you lead and how you run the unit. That is really a powerful example of leading because what you talked about is your reaction and what your mind wanted to say, but then having really, I'd say the emotional intelligence to like pause and listen and get that and then have your own lesson learned. Sounds like I need to communicate with people more and let them know, wow, fascinating. Some of your implicit biases about this person bringing you the suggestion and so forth, you were able to step past that. Wow, that's amazing. Let me ask you, you know, you alluded to it. Nursing's hard right now. Everybody I talk to nowadays has staffing shortages. Um, We've all been through difficult times with COVID and, and the aftermath of that. My understanding is that a lot of people leave fairly quickly because they don't feel a part of something, a part of a team. They don't feel included. They don't feel like they belong. So as a leader, how would you encourage people to work on a unit or department uh, to have people feel included and belonging as soon as possible once they get on board? I think it's having those frequent touch points um, and putting out there what's available and what's needed. Just because someone is new to your unit or your department doesn't mean that they do not bring value, that they're not productive. They have been somewhere else. I think that you have to listen to what they're saying um, or listen to some of the suggestions that they have. You know, partner them up with your unit-based council or whoever, whatever team is doing um, or leading a different project, I think it's important to include people from the very beginning. And just by asking them that question, hey, you came from X hospital or X clinic or whatever, how are you guys dealing with COVID? What did you do? Um, Because now everybody's dealing with it. So it's like, what did you do to get by? What have you seen here? Um, that you think that we could do better because when you're working in it, you're just in it. You, you, you can't see outside of what it is that you're doing. And then also setting the expectation of the people that have been there for a long time is, you know, to accept what they're asking or what they are suggesting that we do, because what we know, what we're doing right now is not working. So um, why not try something different? So I think getting them included as soon as possible is huge to make them feel included and to make them feel, um, you know, respected. I hear that word all the time. I don't feel like people respect me or I don't feel like they respect what I do. And so I think what they're saying is you don't see me and you're not hearing me. Um, So getting them included up front is important. I think you've touched on a basic human need, which is the need for belonging. Mm-hmm. And I never thought of it that way. If if I don't think you see me, then how can I belong here? Right. Fascinating. You know, Desi, you made me think of something else. I just want to ask you, it really has to do with patience and diversity. And that is, so how does a staff's diversity or sometimes lack of diversity impact the patient population? What have you seen in terms of things that you need to take into account or uh, do differently? if there's not just an even match of staff and patients, which there almost never is. Some of the things that we've done in the past is when we recognize that a patient or their family is struggling with something with 
communication, trust, not understanding, or not really wanting to hear is really trying to find what is going to make them comfortable. Sometimes it's simple as asking them what they need. Um, and sometimes it is just understanding a culture and understanding what they need. And so really tapping into the resources that you have within your unit, like going in with your physicians when you know it's going to be a difficult conversation or identifying the different people in your unit who have a different cultural background, um, who speak a different language and really trying to make patients and families feel more comfortable. I think that, it, like you said, it's hard to match it up, but it's really nice when you have that diverse workforce. That's why it is so important. Um, so you have people available to help you serve the patient. You've got the microphone to an awful lot of people. So if you had a chance to give a piece of advice or two to other leaders, just in general about leading with an EDI, equity, diversity, inclusivity mindset, what pieces of advice in general would you give to other leader peers? One of the most important things for me um, that I've seen that I want to share with everybody is that communication piece. People communicate differently based on how you were raised, where you're from, all of those different things. I have been in situations before where I'm sitting at a table of my peers and we're all saying the same thing in the same way, only to have feedback brought to me where I was extremely passionate or aggressive. It was just a huge wake-up call for me, not really in a good way for me. And the statement I made at that time was, either you won't or you can't give the nurses what they need so we can end this meeting and we can go back to the unit because it's really busy. That's exactly what I said. It came back to me that I was being aggressive, whereas my counterpart, who was not the same race as I am, was extremely upset. I do not think that they were disrespectful in any way. I don't think that any of us were. I think that we were in a space where we thought was safe and we were frustrated and we were asking for help. For all of these years, to be a person of color to be passionate about something and to be labeled at times as aggressive, that was disheartening for me because then you mute yourself. So I have muted myself for years about a topic or about saying something at a meeting where I really wanted to speak up and say something, but I did not want anyone to come back to me to say, oh, you're being aggressive. And so I think part of it is learning people's biases, learning how people communicate, learning what that passion means, and really listening to what they're saying instead of how they're saying it. I'm not saying you're being disrespectful to anyone by any means. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have to take the feedback that you're getting from your whole team of leaders or your whole team um, of peers and take that for what it is and don't try and because you can't give what what anybody's asking for or maybe you not you don't agree that you start to place blame or label that person and so there was a male in the room he got the same message that I did so just 
really understanding that. And that taught me a lot about myself. That day, I was like, I can't be silent anymore. I've sat here for the past year and we're still not getting anywhere. So then the one minute I say something, smack, you get your hand smacked, you'll mute yourself again. But I've decided I'm not doing that anymore. It just is what it is. And for that, my team really appreciates me being able to speak up for them and advocate for them. I have come to the conclusion that I'm not wrong in that. Wow, Desi, that's such an incredible story about how in that situation you were labeled by someone else and you muted yourself. You, you, you put yourself on mute. So I wonder if you'd share with us. So when that happens to someone, how do you find your voice again after you feel like you've been muted by others? It's hard, but you have to. So I think, you know, being in that leadership role for such a long time and just being in healthcare for a long time, really knowing who your people are in your circle, going back to the people that you were with at that table, because that is your circle at work. It doesn't matter what they look like. You are all in it together and just really validating and just saying, hey, remember when we were here, this is the feedback that I got checking myself to make sure that I wasn't. And then once that was like, absolutely not, or, or no, I didn't, I didn't feel that I was out of line, but you weren't out of line. Um, and so really taking a step back and knowing that that was not fair. It wasn't fair and it was hurtful. I think it's two things. It's having your circle to talk about it, having your circle outside your circle to really talk about it and say, Hey, are y'all, did you, has this ever happened to y'all before? Or when it did happen, what did you do about it? Cause now I don't want to say anything. Um, and it's really having those people in your corner to encourage you to go back to the table and to still continue to speak up. And that is one thing that I encourage everyone to continue to do. You have to ask for what you want and what you need to do your job. It's simple. It's basic. It's, it's not, you are not asking for anyone to hang the moon for you. You're just asking for help. Um, and so I think having those people in your circle, knowing who you are on the inside, I am rooted in my faith and I know I'm a good person. So I just ask my people so I could keep moving forward. And I think the other characteristic that you're probably too humble to say is that it takes a huge amount of courage. And that's what I heard in your story, a huge amount of courage as a leader. Thank you for that. Really, really powerful stuff. So I think I could pick your brain about this, um, you know, for another hour, but we don't, we don't have that. I want to see, I'm going to hit a couple of points and see if I missed anything if, as we wrap up and uh, feel free to jump in. But the kinds of things I've heard you saying are first start with looking at where to diversify and when it's appropriate to do so. You talked a lot about with hiring, um, using peer interview teams, but being sure that those teams are diverse and helping the teams to develop this diversity mindset. I love you talking about be curious, don't assume what you know about others. They're young, they're Southern, they're from New York, they're whatever, you know. Don't assume that, you know, getting to know people as people and human beings, one of the key things a leader can do, having frequent touch points with others. I love your advice of remember that someone being new on your staff doesn't mean they're not valuable. And we talk to them and and listen to what they have to say. 
I think it's really so important about how to get people to feel like they belong, see me, hear me, let me know I belong here. And then I think the final wrap up that I would say is just being so careful that we don't label others. We have to listen, listen, not label, I guess is what I would say, because the risk of doing that is that we do shut people down and then then they're no longer there with us. So what else would you like to add or what did I miss in that summary of your, your brilliant points about this whole concept? think that you touched on all of them. I think that you're right. We could talk about this forever because it just scratches the surface. There is so many different things that are out there and, you know, really having that self-awareness. It takes a long time, but it takes conversations like this and it takes people to share um, when it happens to them. It's not roses and sunshine all the time. It's hard. It is hard to diversify the workforce and it's hard to be the minority in that workforce as well. I am so proud of AACN all the time, but this is just really, really huge. So thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Desiree Hodges. It has been a privilege as always to talk with you and learn from you. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, I look forward to whenever we can chat more together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Value Program, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.